You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This is Klaus from Your Destiny, and you're listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. Forgery of Imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault. State your name for the record. Jen Arsa, we have a mission for you. I want to help. Good. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. Every day they grow stronger. There isn't much time. I rebel. Welcome everyone to Arribel. I'm your host, Jedi Geek Girl. Where the Force is officially out in America, and it is a whole new world. In this episode, we are going to dive into what we think about this brand new landscape of Star Wars Destiny, and our thoughts so far, including a meta-shaping balance of the Force. Before we do, however, I would like to take this time out to send a special shout out to one of our patrons, Rose. Rose is the newer patron of Arribel whom is also a local here in Minnesota. Not that long ago, she started playing Star Wars Destiny as her first CCG, and just recently, she just won her first tournament. Watching her have a fun attitude towards Star Wars Destiny, as well as seeing her become an active member of the local community, is what I love about Star Wars Destiny. Thank you, Rose, for being a patron of Ivy Bell, and thank you to all of our other patrons. Your pledges makes it possible for us to do what we do here at Ivy Bell. If you would like to find out more about how to become a patron of Ivy Bell, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Destiny. Ivy Bell is also brought to you by our sponsor, Artificery.com. If you are looking for a sealed Way of the Force product at a good price, Artificery can hook you up with a good price. Use code word JediGeekGirl at checkout to help support us as well. Without wasting another minute, let's dive right into our conversation. Joining me for this episode is the man whom I would label, if I could only label one man this, the nice guy of Star Wars Destiny. He is from your Destiny, the one, the only, Klaus. Oh, wow. Wow, what an introduction, Amanda. (laughs) Thank you so much, and thank you for having me on the show. It's a real honor to be here. I've listened to a lot of your shows, so I'm really psyched about talking about Star Wars Destiny, so uh, thank you so much. The honor is all mine. I really meant what I said. I was really surprised. I shouldn't be surprised at how nice someone is when I first met them. But when I first met you, you just ooze charisma and kindness. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, I think that you just talked about community and how people, they uh, become a part of a Destiny community and how great it is. And really, I think that the Star Wars Destiny community by far is one of the most inclusive, caring gaming communities in the world. That's just amazing being a part of. How can you not be happy? (laughs) I agree 100%. I know that the first like six, nine months of Star Wars Destiny, the community was a little shaky, but it seems like the community has really come into itself. Were you around towards the beginning or are you like newer into the game? 
Yeah, I came in the part of the Awakenings era when you couldn't get a card if you wanted to. You couldn't dust up a Awakenings booster pack anywhere. It was actually a really shaky start for me because I was trying to find cards. I found the videos online on how to play Star Wars Destiny. I really wanted to play this game. I just couldn't find any cards to buy. So I finally, I found someone who had a collection for sale. And I bought it and then I sort of got into it three, four months after it initially released. I am so glad that you stuck with it. And I know that we're getting a little off track here of my normal layout, but I want to ask, why did you stick with the game? Because I know a lot of people in your situation would have just given up. Yeah, I think it's, uh, first of all, of course, I invested quite a lot of money in the collection that I bought, but I also just really loved playing the game. I thought it was fast paced. It's an amazing game. It has great mechanics in it. It's Star Wars, which I love. So I just want to get more people to play it. There were two choices. Either I would drop out of the game or I would just find people to play with. And then I opted for the second thing, just thinking, okay, let me just find more people to play with. So that was sort of my big mission for the first three, four, five months. It was simply to get a decent testing group together. And then eventually we managed to build a large community here in Copenhagen in Denmark. And that just sort of continuously keeps growing. So um, we're just happy and we love to play Star Wars Destiny. I am so glad that you stuck with it because I think it is safe to say that without you, your Destiny would not be around, correct? Yeah, no, that that's probably true. <laughs> Maybe there would be some other kind of content creators out there that would do other kind of content. But it's true that Your Destiny, that was sort of my idea from the beginning, actually with my wife, who's the audio producer of our podcast. So that was sort of our small niche thing in the beginning. And suddenly it just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> Before we get any further into the subject of Your Destiny, I would like to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests here. Can you share with us a little bit about yourself outside of Star Wars and Star Wars Destiny? So uh, I think that a fact that very few people know about me, but it's becoming a bit more apparent as we start writing articles for our website and so on. But I used to be a backgammon player. So that's actually my main game. I mean, dice games is not a strange phenomenon for me, but I used to be on the backgammon circuit and played pro level backgammon for a long time. I never really played that game. I know that my grandparents always had one, but I never really knew how to play it and I never really bothered to ask. So perhaps maybe you could show us at Worlds or something how to play. What I love about Backgammon is the fact that it's a dice game, but it has a very high skill cap to it. So normally I tell people that the better Backgammon player will win 9 out of 10 games, simply because you have a lot of control with the checkers that you're using, sort of trying to put yourself in a superior position. It's very much a position game. I think that the key to becoming a really good Backgammon player is not just practicing, but also looking into sort of the more theoretical aspect of backgammon, sort of finding out about dice probability, finding out about how to position yourself on the board and finding out about this idea of constant adaptation. You adapt to new conditions for your gameplays. That was my starting point. I actually read a lot of books on backgammon. I played a few games and then I was hooked on backgammon. I read some books, I played more games and suddenly it just kept rolling. I would like to dive further into backgammon because I know, I would like to think that most of our listeners know what backgammon is, but I never really did. And you mentioned that it has a high skill cap. With dice involved, how would it compare to like chess for comparison? 
Chess is a totally different game. That's essentially 100% skill, right? The construction of chess is that you have limited maneuvers and on top of that, you constantly have to be ahead of your opponent. So whenever your opponent is a more skilled player, he will most likely be one, two, maybe even 10 steps ahead of you. In backgammon, because of the probability of the dice, because of the randomness of the dice, you will never really be ahead. You can try and put yourself in a superior position. That's the part of the game we call the priming game, where you sort of continuously improve your board state, to speak in destiny terms. And then at some point you lock out, maybe you have some unlucky dice rolls, or maybe the worst situation, maybe you have some really lucky dice rolls that changes everything. And that's where the skill cap of a backgammon player shows. It's simply the ability to adapt to changing conditions. So you might be ahead, but suddenly you're behind. And how can you change change the outcome of that. So essentially, you're just playing on a board. You have checkers, you have different points. So you have the construction or the framework of the game is the same for both players. And then it's the dice that decides your position on the board. And you have to constantly make the best out of your die rolls. And that's essentially what makes backgammon in many ways comparable to Star Wars Destiny. You mentioned nine out of 10 times, the better player always wins. And that is really good, probably better than any CCG. So that still is something that I never knew about the game. And I never knew that it was so complex and so skill intense because I never really knew how to play in about the game. So that's the interesting thing, because I think that what confuses us about backgammon, also what confuses players about the Star Wars Destiny, is that the dice, they are just one component of the game. There are a lot of other things that are decisive factors within a game. The whole decision-making process, the whole establishing of your board state, all of these things, they play major parts. But what people get focused on are the fact that they roll dice and they think that because dice are so volatile, because we are dealing with probability, because we are dealing with randomness, they believe everything to be random. But as any Star Wars Destiny player knows, this is not the case within a game of Destiny. I mean, the dice, of course, are an essential part of it but they are by no means the fundamental part of it. That is absolutely fascinating. I am so glad that you touched on backgammon because that's something I never knew about the game, and I'm glad that it ties into Star Wars Destiny a little bit. Moving on to Star Wars Destiny and back to your Destiny, let's go back to the beginning. What inspired you to create Star Wars Destiny content? Originally, it started out as a small project with my wife and myself. She's an audio producer, and I thought that I would love to get her sort of professionally involved in Star Wars Destiny. We were playing together at the beginning, but then I thought, let's see if we can make something out of it. And then it was sort of like a community thing, because now we had this new sort of brooding community in in Copenhagen. We were playing in Ask Gaming Cafe, and I just thought it would be really nice to have some of the guys talk about Star Wars Destiny. We were playing all the time but I just wanted to talk about it as well so it was thought of in the beginning as like a local initiative that would then the final product would be a podcast but the idea was essentially for us locally to have sort of like a forum for us to debate and talk Star Wars Destiny and then of course as we carried on then it grew bigger we involved more people but that was sort of the infancy of the Your Destiny podcast it was essentially just us wanting to have a space for community members in our local gaming club to have a space to talk about Star Wars Destiny. If somebody wanted to know what your destiny is, how would you summarize it? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a difficult task, Amanda. <laughs> uh, I think that your destiny is on one hand a lot of different products. It's a website, it's a podcast, but it's also an idea. I think it's an idea that people they can partake in something which is not just about themselves, but is about community. It's an idea that if you just engage people in something they like. They come up with the craziest ideas. They come up with the most amazing things, whether it's articles or whether it's deck techs or deck builds or other things. So sort of your destiny is a brand in that sense. By now, it's become much more than just the products we produce. It's also sort of an approach to the game, I hope. It's absolutely wonderful seeing you guys grow from a small podcast to a worldwide known to use a lack of words, brand, and identity that everybody knows who you are, everybody knows who Mods is, but there are so many Star Wars Destiny content creators, and you mentioned the differences that you have in your identity compared to others, but diving into that further, how would you differentiate your Destiny from other content creators? Yeah, it's really difficult because on one hand, we've been super inspired by a lot of different content creators. When we looked around, when we started doing the Your Destiny podcast, we were, of course, looking and listening to other podcasts, to you, to the Chance Cube, to Knights of Ren, to the Hyperloops, the Jedi Trials and whatnot. And it was sort of difficult to find a niche because on one hand, we are talking about a very limited product. It's not that our content is about psychology or philosophy, where there are so many things to talk about. So we are very limited in what we are talking about. I think what we wanted high commitment to quality, we wanted sort of like a space where you were entertained and entertained about Star Wars Destiny. So it moved from the beginning of the podcast where we were sort of much more general talking about the entire span of Star Wars Destiny from the casual play, from community building to competitive play. But then at some point, I felt a bit lonely making the podcast. As you probably know that it's sort of you sit there all alone doing everything coming up with ideas and finding people to talk with. And I really felt that at some point I needed to share this burden with someone or share this workload with someone. And then at some point, Mass, he came along and I just immediately clicked with Mass. But Mass, as, as you know, and, and most people will know, is uh, he's a different kind of person. He's a different kind of Destiny player. He's highly competitive. He's also very good at it. So that brought sort of a different angle to the Your Destiny podcast, at least. Then suddenly we became sort of like a much more concentrated podcast on the competitive aspects of Star Wars Destiny. And I think it's fair to say that right now, that's where we have a foot within the content creation of Star Wars Destiny. It is also sort of to push hard for sort of very top tier competitive content. I would like to further dive into your team, but before I do, one of the most iconic thing about your podcast is the music breaks. It is something that I really enjoy, it's something different. Where did the idea of those breaks come from and how do you decide which songs to play? So interesting fact, at some point, Adriana, our audio producer and my wife, we were talking about the podcast and what we could do better and so on. And at some point she asked, Klaus, do you think that people, they realize that our music is not totally random music? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, actually. Essentially, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a narrative throughout our podcast. So a lot of the music, it 
deals with the topics that we are discussing or it reflects some of the ideas that are being talked about, maybe just picking up on words. At some point, we had this crazy idea. We had a podcast on monetary prices. What would it do to Star Wars Destiny? And then Mass, he was on. That was actually his first time on the podcast, but as a guest, not as a co-host. And he talked about Las Vegas. He talked about money and so on. And then uh, we just thought about this ABBA song where they talked about money, money, money. And we thought that would be a, a nice way of framing the whole conversation. So that's very much what we do. And then usually if we have guests on, we ask if they have a favorite song or they have something they would like us to play. And we usually play that. Of course, because of copyrights and so on, we can't play full songs. We We'd love to do it, but we are trying in very, very much to make our podcasts like radio programs. For us, it should feel like listening to your favorite radio program for 45 minutes or 50 minutes. And a lot of time actually goes into finding the music that fits into the theme of the podcast. It absolutely draws you in as a listener. I know it's one of the things that I really enjoy about your podcast. But getting back to your team, you mentioned that you have your producer, your wife, and your co-host, Marge. Is it just you three or is there other people behind the scenes of your destiny? Now that we expanded our activities to also including a website, we do live streams on Twitch, we have our YouTube channel, and then of course the podcast, then we simply needed more manpower. So right now we have a video producer who is a super cool guy, Angelo Gonzalez, who is a professional video producer. We convinced him to come and do volunteer work for us. We have our entire playtesting group, which is sort of the top tier of European Star Wars Destiny players. They are part of our testing group that we use to generate decks and to train before tournaments. Of course, Mass as the co-host and sort of one of the biggest inspirations for the podcast because he always has crazy ideas and he's a magnificent player. And then we have an editor on our website, Casper Julesgaard, also a super cool guy who works for free. I mean, that just shows the love and the passion for the Your Destiny brand right that people they just want to chip in because they like what they're doing and they love star wars so there are a lot of people involved right now i think that we are almost 12 maybe even 14 people that are working sort of on and off with the products your co-host mod took second place at worlds and he also won euros what does that do for your brand Mass, he's like the best PR possible, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> normally I'm, I, I, I was so shocked that you asked me to become a podcast because normally people, they want to talk with Mass <laughs> because uh, I'm just sort of the silly guy talking on the Your Destiny podcast. I'm the one behind some of the articles on the website, but Mass in many ways is really the face of the podcast. I mean, after his success at Worlds and we were really, I mean, we we're really rooting for him at Worlds. We expected him to do well, of course, I, I mean, we all want to do well, but we knew that Mass, he could really go the distance. He is an amazing Star Wars Destiny player. And then when he took second place, of course, we were happy for him. We were also a bit heartbroken because it would have been so nice to take that nice trophy home and the Sabine mat and everything. But with him picking up the main prize at Euros, that was just amazing. I mean, that was so cool. It would have been amazing to have an international player win. And I would expect him to repeat those results because... He has proven time and time again that he's not one of these players that just got, for lack of a better word, lucky. Because if you're successful at a tournament, there's no way that you are just lucky. There's a lot of skill involved. But 
I would expect him to do well next year. And I know that results speak volumes to a lot of people. A lot of people will respect people when they have a good opinion about a deck. But at the end of the day, results speak volume. Respect is earned through results. And he has really stamped his name, not only taking a second place at Worlds, but Yields. And he is definitely somebody to watch and somebody to opinion you want to listen to. Mass, he's such a competitive player. He has a very competitive mindset. He plays, I mean, endless hours of Star Wars Destiny. And on top of that, he also plays competitive Magic the Gathering. He used to be on the Pro Tour in Magic. You can just see that he has an intuitive understanding of card games. And what he brings to our team is a lot of experience in the competitiveness of uh, collectible card games. And on top of that, he's just a super cool guy who loves to play. I mean, I've seen him play finishing up a tournament and still sit with his decks asking so anyone wants to play the day after euros we were so battered because we had just been out celebrating and mass he sits down at cafe and he says so anyone wants to have a game (laughs) i mean literally everywhere he just plays destiny (laughs) so it's uh, i mean that's insane As a part of a brand, we are always looking for new ideas and new adventures. I know that I have ideas constantly running in my head. And anybody who is a part of a brand, whether it's Discord to Reroll, Hyperloops, Night of Ren, while we are still doing what we are doing, we're always looking for the future. I do not want you to disclose anything you don't want to, but what are your goals for the future of your destiny? I think that we really want to push for more content. We want to have regular content. One of the things that really surprised me about Star Wars Destiny is that content, it's actually hard to come by. I mean, of course, you can listen to the podcast and so on. You can read the articles, but there is actually a fairly limited amount of articles. Normally, my daily routine is I get up in the morning, I read newspapers, but online newspapers. And then afterwards, I browse through. So what are there of Star Wars Destiny news? So usually I go to different Facebook pages and websites and I search on Reddit for new articles and so on. And actually, one of the interesting things is that it's not every day that there is something new. There might be a short video or something, but if you were to look at Magic, for instance, or Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, there's more content than you can absorb. There's just content all over the place. And I would love for Star Wars Destiny to be at a place where we constantly have high quality content, whether it's from you and I rebel, whether it's from the Hyperloops, whether it's from the Jedi Trials, but I just want us to have much more content. And I really want to contribute to that. I mean, not content at all costs, but I do want to see more content out there. I do want to see high quality content. I do want to read articles about game theory or new deck builds or this is the ambition for us to improve on our flow of content. You mentioned something that I would like to touch upon that I recently talked about with Pearl Yeti. You talked about there being content that is missing in the Star Wars Destiny community. Can you expand upon that and what is it that you think that somebody should create or that is missing from the Star Wars Destiny community? So right now, a lot of the content, the content that we have the most of is content showing games with TTS games or live streams being recorded. You can find a new game every day, basically. If you go to YouTube, if you subscribe to different channels, you can find a new game every day. 
But what I would really love us to look more into is sort of diving even deeper into Destiny to figure out what is this game about? I mean, what is the construction of the game to try and become smarter than the game designers? Because if we do get smarter than the game designers, they will have to get smarter. I mean, they will have to be faster. They will have to generate new sets. They will have to generate new game mechanics. And that, I feel, is where we should go with Star Wars Destiny. I mean, I love this game. I think it's one of the best games that I've ever tried playing. But I also really wanted to improve, not just with the distribution and the frequency of the sets, but I simply want the game to be constantly improved. And I think that we, as content creators, we have a huge responsibility in keeping the game designers in check. In some ways, you could say that we are like the fourth power, like the media is in politics, right? We are the ones who hold game designers responsible. I agree with you. Being a content creator is something that is important for the community. Having a whole bunch of content creators, like Zach Bunn would say, is something that is very vital to the community. But let's turn the tables a little bit and let's talk strictly about Destiny. Are you ready to talk about the game that we all love and enjoy? Yeah, of course. I'd love to talk about Destiny. Last night, the new holocrons were dropped for Star Wars Destiny, and in it was something that I did not expect, and that was three new changes on the balance of the Force. Did any of these surprise you, or did you expect all three of these to be touched upon? No, I didn't expect all three. I have to admit, I think that everybody who had played in the Legacies meta, they expected the Ayla adjustment in one way or the other. Whether it was one point or two points, I'm not really sure which I found to be the better. But I don't think that anybody who had played Star Wars Destiny competitively were in doubt that Ayla needed to be put through the balance of the Force. I was surprised about Sabine, though. I do know that there's a lot of Sabine hate There's a lot of ideas circulating or gravitating about the Sabine doing Sabine things. I recently wrote a long article about that, actually. I don't agree with the hate. I see why people, they find it to be a negative play experience playing against Sabine Ezra. I think there are ways around it, but I didn't expect that one. I didn't think that the game designers would pick up on it and would nerf Sabine. I was also a bit surprised, but maybe that's simply because I forgot about Unka because he's been unplayable since they changed him. I mean, they changed him and we saw that in the recent article that FFG released the three rules to Milbai that they wanted Unka not to be playable with Thrawn. But since they nerfed him and added two points to his point cost, he's been unplayable. I'm not sure that it's enough to reduce him to plus one point, but I hope so. I loved playing Unka. I thought he was a super cool character. I even loved Thronka. I thought that was an amazing deck. I'm a bit sad that they took that away so early. We saw very few tournaments being played. There was very little time to actually play Unka with Thron. So from the point of, did I anticipate these changes? No, definitely not. Ayla, yes. Sabine and Unka, definitely not. I would like to dive into these one at a time into more detail because these changes just don't happen for no reason. Let's first dive into Sabine. Sabine went from 20 for Elite to 21, a one point change, basically making her unplayable with Elite Ezra and basically blue. You mentioned that you were pretty much okay with Sabine and I would echo that. Why do you think Sabine was hit? Yeah, I think that when you look at the article that was written on the three rules to Milby, that was essentially saying there are three main components that the game designers wanted in a game. One of them was interactivity. 
they wanted the game to be a game, which essentially at the surface is you do something, I do something, you do something, I do something. So this balance they want to keep. And I think that once we see rotation hit, I don't think that we're going to see cards like four speed ever come back again. They might keep the cards like Tactical Mastery, Three Steps Ahead, and cards that will have similar effects. But these are also cards that are much more difficult to map out. You need to plan ahead, basically. With Sabine, they were looking at a character that added a high degree of non-interactivity. You do something, you do something, you kill something. And that's what they want to make up for. I don't agree with the decision 100%. I agree with the general sentiment that Sabine is not conducive for Game of Destiny, which is as enjoyable for both players. But what I liked about Sabine Ezra was that it forced players, including myself, into thinking Destiny in different ways. So how do you get around it? How do you play around Sabine? How do you make the best of a situation which can look really bad? That was the starting point for the article I wrote on probabilities and seeing the out rather than sort of the limitations and seeing the possibilities in a game. But I do understand it from the point of view that those three rules were the main rules of the game where interactivity is one of them. Then I see the logic in nerfing Sabine. I understand the change. I don't necessarily agree with it like you do. I didn't think she was too much of a problem when it came to her presence in the meta. I thought while she could steal games, she wasn't dominating the meta like Ayla. To me, Ayla makes a lot more sense than Sabine. You can easily play around her. Yes, you have to worry about the second chances and the hyperspace jump. But basically, she is 11 health deck and you can blow Ezra off the board like very easily. I know I play Sabine and it is a very skill intense deck. Yes, you can roll the nuts, but you still have to get to that point. And Bobby Sapphire proved that point. He took the deck to a top four finish at Worlds and no other Sabine deck was able to do that. So I understand where they were coming from, but part of me worries a little bit about the meta, about not having that heavy aggro deck in the meta to keep your more control decks in check. Mike Bobby Sapphire is an amazing Star Wars Destiny player. He probably played hundreds of games with Sabine Ezra. He's fine-tuned his deck over several tournaments before bringing it to Worlds, before having his amazing run at Worlds. I mean, that's not a testimony to the fact that the deck itself is good. That's on top of that a testimony to the fact that he's a good Star Wars Destiny player. I don't feel that a novice player couldn't bring Sabine Ezra to a large tournament, whether it be Worlds or Euros, and go 6-0 and on the first day. That wouldn't be possible. I mean, you need to train, you need to get to know the deck so well that you can play against any kind of matchup. So I'm not in the camp where I want to put full hate on Sabine. And I think it's a pity that she's probably by now been nerfed to a point where she is almost unplayable. I don't see her being played with Ezra with one die. I might see her being played with a clone trooper for a yellow-red deck that utilizes some of the same things, whether it's Grand Entrance, whether it's Tactical Mastery. But it's a pity. I hate to see good characters sort of fall out of the game because they fall out of favor with a certain crowd. I agree with you. I think Sabine can still be played, but she won't be as good. You can always run her with hair at one die, and then you have access to leadership as well as grand entrance so maybe she can do well that way but she won't ever see as much dominance as she had before 
And the main thing is that Sabine Ezra never really dominated the tournament scene either. I mean, they might have dominated a local meta somewhere, and that had, has, of course, made a lot of players in that meta super upset. But you didn't see Sabine Ezra dominating tournaments around the world. I mean, it didn't take all the galactic qualifiers. It didn't go to the top of worlds. It didn't win the Euro. So I think that the hate is not in proportion with the impact that the Sabine Ezra deck had on the meta. It was just a hated deck for some reason. Our next card we have to blame, and this is on fun here, we have to blame Bobby Sapphire for it again. So that's three cards, Hyperloop. Ayla, Ayla got plus one, and she's now 13 elite, 10, one die. What do you think about this change, and why do you think it happened? As opposed to Sabine, I think that the balance of the force on Ayla was different from the one on Sabine. The one on Sabine was simply to avoid that particular character combo with Sabine Ezra. Because Sabine still has the same ability. She's no different. Ayla, she was undercast. And I think what made them realize that she was undercasted was actually the new set coming out with Way of the Force. Not just the dominance of Ray Ayla in the previous meta, but the fact that Ayla enabled some really nasty decks, in particular with Build to Last in the new set. We already saw the construction with Ayla, Cashin, and Door with Built to Last with the blue-yellow upgrade and a lot of powerful plays. And also in our playtest group, we tested out Ayla with Rex and Built to Last with the same terrifying effect. Once you get all of these redeployable weapons down and you get them cheaper, oh, that's just horrific. That makes for some powerful combos. And I think that from the starting point, there was no one in doubt that Ayla, she was, if not undercasted with one point, then maybe even with two. I think they sort of solved it with one, but she enabled too many decks. She is such a good card. I know that I didn't get to play a lot with her in the last format. I'm going to play with her this weekend in the store championship. This will drop afterwards, so I don't have to worry about sharing the deck. But I want to play with Ayla one last time with profitable connection. She has such a good die for a point cost. And not only does she have a good die, but she's so affordable that you can pretty much fit her in anywhere. And like you mentioned, she's able to have good plots and have points left over for a good character. So I cannot speak as much on Yela. I know that she was a little bit annoying, but she didn't enable that play style that was suppressing the meta, like Sabine. If anything, like I said, she kind of earns her balance of the force change because of her dominance, but in a different way because Rayla did see a lot of play. It was a good deck. It was a efficient deck. It was a dominating deck, but it was pretty much a fair deck. I mean, you didn't have to worry about too much action cheating or a lot of damage. You had to get to that point. The thing about Ayla is that, and that was actually, I remember the original article written by Bobby Sapphire on Ray Ayla. He called it the middle-middle strategy where you have two almost even characters who can both be excellent starters and finishers of a game. They are both doers and enablers. So Ayla is not a sort of full-blooded support character like we see with the new support characters like Price or Snow or even Yoda. They are in their main capacity they are enablers. They are the ones that enable another character to do stuff. The problem with Ayla is she's both an enabler and a doer. She can make Ray much stronger 
and she can herself end the game because of her three damage sites and her special. So in that sense, you were looking at a character who was so dominant in all aspects of the game and on top of that being very low price so you could add even more strength to your deck like the profitable connections in Ray Ayla. I don't think that Ray Ayla is dead. But I think that it will have to go through some revisions. The last changes that we made to that deck included the inclusion of Destiny as a tech card instead of It Binds All Things. And I think that deck is still playable. But obviously losing one resource in the beginning from losing the Prophet of Connections can be quite a severe blow to the deck. Now you can include Fortify instead. There's still ways that they work, but it won't have the same high impact from the beginning. It will be much more of a simplified mid-range deck if you were to play it in the future, but it's still a really powerful deck. The last balance of the force change that happened in this recent Holocron update was Unkar coming down from plus two to plus one. Instead of being 15 elite, he is now 14 elite. What are your opinions about this and do you think it will help him? So the main thing is, uh, for me, you still can't play him with Thrawn. Thrawn coming in at 17 points for Elite means that you will not be able to see the Thrawn card deck. I wasn't in agreement with the people who said the Thrawn card was too powerful a deck. I do agree that the rounds where you did get those incredible buyouts with 7 cards or 10 cards even, they were not nice. I mean, you were sitting sort of feeling, wow, that's uh, I'm being run over by a train here. But I think that they needed to do it. They needed to reduce his points cost because otherwise he would never see play, not even as a single die character. Right now, I think that he will be going into some three character builds, maybe just with one die, so not played elite. I don't see a lot of decks playing him elite. I can't really see where he fits in. I could still see him maybe in a mill deck or in a vehicles deck, but I think they needed to do it also to make it possible to play villain vehicles because villain vehicles have been non-existent. We had uh, in our local meta, we had some before legacies trying to play vehicles with a four wide, with two stormtroopers, a Guavian enforcer, I think it maybe was even two Guavin Enforcers and two Stormtroopers. But since then, and in particular in the Legacies meta, where hero vehicles, they really started dominating and they became really powerful, maybe even enabled by Ayla. You hadn't seen uh, villain vehicles. And maybe that's where Unkar, he can uh, step in and help the uh, villain vehicle decks. I am in agreement with you when it comes to Throncar. I got to play the deck a little bit, so I didn't get to see how crazy it could be. Yes, I did have some really impactful games, but not to the extent of like Pomas. But I understand where they were coming from, but I thought that the plus two points was a little bit harsh. And I think that they realized that. And instead of keeping it at plus two, they brought it down to plus one. So not only do I think that they are correcting themselves, but I also think that they are opening up the meta. Like you said, one of the things about Unka is that he enables villain vehicles, which we really haven't seen in the meta since people are experimenting with it in the Empire War meta. So I am looking forward to it because he is a fun card to have in the game. Even if you're not playing with him, you're playing against him and... I don't know, I really wasn't a noon card player outside of Thrawn card, but he has that nostalgic feel of you like to play him, like he's a fun character because he adds options to your board that you don't have otherwise because you can be like, okay, I can resolve these two dice, I can reroll them, or I can remove them to pluck a card and hopefully get some resources. 
Uncar's special ability really came to prominence when we saw the Rainbow FN decks. There was a Rainbow FN deck that took Euros in 2017 with a First Order Stormtrooper, Uncar, and FN. But I'm not really sure if the design team made the right choice when they nerfed him before having seen if there would be any counters to him within the meta. You remember when Brody K came after Honest Sarcastic, he took the New Jersey regionals and people, they were shocked and appalled by the Brody K and how it's ruining everyone's gaming experience. And then came Baba Seven Sister. I mean, there was an easy reply to that. They didn't have to nerf anything. They didn't have to run it through the balance of the force. The players came up with the answer to combating Brody K and Brody K fell out of favor. I mean, nobody wanted really to play. It wasn't as dominant as people had expected because the players stepped up and they found out what can combat this deck, what will give me the best odds of winning. Ray Ayla was one answer, the easiest and most dominant answer. That was the Baba Seven Sister. I felt that they swung the nerf hammer on the Throng card deck too fast before we really saw the effect of it. And Throng card didn't win like a load of tournaments. It took top placements in a few tournaments and then suddenly they just got nerfed. I agree. Along with Sabine, I think you could have touched the decks in a different way and still had the same effect, like limiting second chance or hitting Ezra or hitting buyout could have hit these decks where the point cost didn't really need to be hit. But I understand with the point changes, it's a lot easier for them to do instead of instating like a band or a restriction or a errata. It's a lot simpler. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Back then, of course, a lot of discussions were on FN as well. I wasn't a big fan of FN. I learned to love FN, but I wasn't a big fan of him. I did think that the game mechanic was a bit abusive, but I also think that people learned to play around it. So I'm still to sit down and probably look at Unkar and see what possibilities there are. Unkar's special ability is amazing and he has a really cool die. So I hope that there's a future for him. I am really looking forward to seeing what these changes will do to the meta and how people will work around them. Hopefully people will try to work with Sabine again, will still play Ayla, and hopefully we'll see Unkar back because like I said, even if he's not your type of character, he is just so fun to have in the meta. But before we wrap up this podcast, I do want to talk about Way of the Force for a little bit because we have a brand new set and we can talk about Way of the Force for a whole episode. So before we dive into it for a little bit, have you had a chance to look at all the spoilers? Yeah, I think I went through most of the cards in the set. I'm super hyped about Way of the Force, not just because of the cards, because of the new possibilities, but also just because I really needed to look at new cards soon. <laughs> it feels like I've been looking at the same cards for an eternity. <laughs> yeah, and you had Legacies a month longer than we did, right? Yeah, yeah, we got it in the pre-release in December, sort of leading up to the holiday season. So we didn't get the Rivals draft set, but we got the Legacies boosters. So we've had them for more than half a year now and no new cards in the horizon. So that's at least one reason to be super psyched about getting Way of the Force. I have two questions about Way of the Forest. The first one is, what is interesting you when it comes to deck creativity? Like, what are you looking forward to trying and building? The main thing with Way of the Force is the fact that support characters are seemingly following the same pattern as Yoda. They have higher health pools and they are getting more powerful. Right now, we're looking at, in particular, two support characters in Way of the Force, and they're both villain. It's Price and it's Snoke. 
and they are both amazing. I look so much forward to building decks with them. It's not that Cash and Andor, it's not that Rex are not great, but I think that the pricing for the two new support characters in Snog and Price is just right. They hit a soft spot where you can build a lot of interesting both two character builds and three white decks. And then I'm looking very much forward to seeing where Hero Mill is to end up in the new meta. Leia and Cash and Andor, they both look like beasts. They usually had this strategy of saying that was the interview that Jeremy Swern did at some point, saying that the trademark of Hero Mill was milling from deck and the trademark of Villain Mill was milling from hand. And now we see basically the situation being reversed or at least being in the favor of Hero Mill. Leia coming out with two mill sites, a two mill and a one mill and Cash and Andor with two one mill sites and the added effect of being able to mill cards from your deck. I think that in one way or the other, we're going to look at a Leia Cash and Andor mill deck that's going to be super powerful. That deck absolutely scares me. It's something that I am constantly thinking about because I'm not a huge fan of Mill. But before I touch upon that, a couple of things that I am looking forward to is I'm hoping that Villain will see more prominence and more diverse decks. I really hope that Price and Snoke can bring that to the meta. I would also like to say that where the Forest is up there when it comes to the best set in Star Wars Destiny just because of all the diversity that you have. You have Mill getting boost, you have Villain cards that are capable, you have all these cards that add new layers to the meta that I think the game is coming in of its own. I still think that there are a few more things that need tweaking, but I'm really excited for the set and I'm looking forward to all the possibilities. I think there are a lot of things to be excited about with Way of the Force. One of them, which is not game related per se, but it's also the aesthetic part of it. I actually think that a lot of the cards are super nicely designed from an image perspective. I know that a lot of people, they gave hate on the image that they chose for Leia and for Force Jump and so on. When I look at the artwork that has been done on most of the cards, it just looks stunning. So that's sort of from an aesthetical perspective. But I think that from a design perspective, they are looking to close gaps in their current design. They are looking to bring in hopefully villain vehicle decks. They are looking at strengthening mill decks and they are looking now with the balance of the force to, from a player perspective, to make as little impact from a negative play experience perspective. So I think that we are looking at right now a set which is supposed to both add to the game, but also to rectify some of the things that were wrong with the game, or at least perceived wrong with the game. I share your sentiment. I think that Way of the Force is going to be a really complete set in the sense that players, they will feel that it closes gaps in their collection, in their possibilities, and at the same time, hopefully opens up for new builds as well. The artwork in Way of the Forest and Legacy has definitely improved upon what they previously had. I know that they are creating a lot of original artwork because they are featuring characters that have not been a part of the games and that comes with expanding their focus from the original trilogy to other eras. And full disclosure, this episode was supposed to be focused on Way of the Forest and we will do that in a later episode. But I do have one question and I mentioned it earlier about it being on my mind. Mill got a huge boost for heroes and for me it's a bit of a concern because I don't like Mill and I think that the hit and run combo is something that is really scary. So I do have to ask, do you think Mill will be a problem this format? 
I think it's too early to say if it's going to be a problem. I playtested Cash and Andor and Leia and actually used Hit and Run as well, using Motivate, using Rebel, using Easy Picking, Second Chance, Hyperspace Jump, all the cards that are sort of the powerful cards for mill decks. And I can definitely see that we are at least now looking at a much faster mill deck. So mill decks used to be like reactive decks. They had to keep themselves back to be able to mitigate the big damage sites and so on. Now we're potentially looking at a mill deck with Cashinando and Leia that is super fast. That could potentially be a deck that will claim out faster than their opponent. And because of in particular one card named Suppressive Fire, which is the first sort of reactive card in Star Wars Destiny, then they can even activate faster than their opponent. They can claim out and they can get rid of the big damage sites or the threatening die sites, even when they've claimed out. I think that mill is definitely something to look out for at least. I don't think that necessarily that it's going to be a huge problem, but I know that in the, the interview that Jeremy Swern, when he took over as lead designer, he had with Team Covenant, Jeremy Swern was very clear on stating that he did not want mill decks to be the best deck in the format. I don't think that's what we're looking at now, but at least we are seeing that mill is firmly going to position itself as a contender. I think when it comes to mill and combating it, one of the things that helps you against it is having abilities on the field that you don't need cards in your hand to activate. This is one of the reasons why I really love Snoke because you don't need cards in your hand. All you need is a character die showing damage against mill. And basically you just use Snoke ability because damage doesn't matter against mill and you can resolve your damage die for plus two. So I think Snoke gives me a little bit more optimism when it comes to playing against mill as a counter and hopefully other abilities as well. Cad Bane helps because all you need to do is use his ability to play a weapon and ambush and then you can shield out damage and all these other cards. So hopefully what I am being concerned about when it comes to mill is irrelevant but hopefully at the same token you know it is a contender but it is a fair contender yeah no i totally agree i totally agree amanda this has been wonderful i know that i had a blast talking with you but before we let you go we here i rebel would like to ask you three quick shotgun questions are you ready yeah fire away the first one is, is what is one card in star wars destiny that you think is commonly overlooked Oh, I, that's that that's really hard. I am. Um, I mean, I, I I don't think I can come up with one. <laughs> I don't blame you. There are so many cards, but you know, with a new set, I'm sure there will be a lot of them. So, moving on to our next question: What is one canon Star Wars character that you would like to see come to Star Wars Destiny? Amanda, you're really hitting a soft spot here because as much as I love Star Wars. I never watched any of the animated shows. I haven't read any of the books. So it's almost embarrassing that you had to ask me that question because it just proves that, I mean, I know that so many people who play Star Wars Destiny, they know everything about Star Wars Destiny lore and whatnot. I simply don't know anything about Star Wars Destiny outside of the movies. That is a-okay because being a fan isn't defined by how much you know if you love one film if you love one book if you love one minute of star wars you are still a fan and that is okay because star wars is diverse and hopefully playing star wars destiny share those characters that we know and love to other people who don't know who they are oh thank god (laughs) 
Moving on to our last question, what Awakening Cycle card would you like to see get reprinted that has not yet been reprinted? I think I would love to see Crime Lord. That's one of my favorite cards. It's so difficult to get to work. It's so expensive. But once you get it to work, that look on your opponent's face when you Crime Lord his main character away, that's just amazing. And I would love to see it work. One of the reasons I think that it will not be reprinted is because they don't want to see it together with a character like Snoke or with a character like Thrawn. Or, so I think that's probably not going to happen. But I would love to see that one being reprinted. That is a wonderful choice. That is a very good choice. I know that you are the second person that I have had on who has picked that card. So very good choice. Really? Oh, wow. Maybe they will print it. I'm rooting for it. I'm thinking that it is a possibility. It might not happen in the next cycle, but perhaps the cycle after that, because I think it is such an iconic card and it brings something to the game that you need in a game. You need those alternative wins. Yeah, no, definitely. I totally agree. It is now time to wrap things up. Thank you, Klaus, for coming on and talking some Star Wars Destiny with me. Thank you so much for inviting me. As I said in the beginning, this is a great honor being on your podcast. I'm a huge fan, so I'm so happy that you asked me and not mess. <laughs> Before we let you go, if people would like to contact you, where can they find you? So we are on Facebook. It's Your Destiny at Your Star Wars Destiny. We have a website. It's yourdestiny.dk. You can also just email us for any questions or PM us. Our email is yourdestiny at gmail.com. We're here, there, and everywhere. That concludes this episode of I Rebel. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. Jedi Geek Girl, out. This has been I Rebel a Star Wars Destiny podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at irebeldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, Fantasy Flight Games, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars, Star Wars Destiny, and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders.